everyone. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. This week, we thought we would dive into all things Facebook, and there's been a lot of news about Facebook um, this week. There's a lot of news about Facebook every week, as you know. <laughs> and then we thought we'd uh, close up with a look at what Apple, Amazon, Google, and the Zigbee Alliance are doing. Uh, so first, as we noted, a lot of news on Facebook. We saw that uh, Facebook got in trouble here in Washington, D.C. as they tried to explain how they were using location to influence ads, despite the fact that some users would have their location tracking turned off for the app. And Facebook explained that they were using other information for example, where they might be tagging photos and other things like that to ascertain general location and then and then deliver relevant ads to that. So Facebook's still in hot water around some of their privacy concerns and uh, and content moderation was another big topic that we saw from from Facebook this week. They're piloting in a program in the U.S. to use part-time contracted what they're calling community reviewers to help with fact-checking process. We saw that Instagram is uh, expanding some of its fact-checking efforts by by trying to hide false content. Or at least uh, label it. At least label it, right? Yeah. Facebook is trying to ban misleading posts. It seems like it's a, a never-ending saga. It's interesting. I also saw an article, Ross, this week that um, Facebook was going to help train politicians, uh, help train media on identifying fake news ah. and, and deep fakes. So parlaying some of their uh, their expertise there, but obviously still a lot of expertise to gain and how to how to battle some of these uh, falsehoods that are permeating the internet. Uh, and then obviously a lot of other Facebook related news as they try to uh, to to figure out how to navigate a world that is increasingly scrutinizing every single thing that they do. I'll say on the location tracking, two two things. One, I, I think it it illustrates some of the the gap between what is technically turned on and off when you adjust certain settings in in an app or or at the operating system level, and what you think is happening and they're not necessarily the same thing obviously and that's where this gap came into play i mean the consumer if a consumer turns off location tracking uh they assume that they're that that the app is going to have no idea of where they are and that's not an unreasonable assumption given the label associated with that setting but uh, yeah, there's more than one way to ascertain location, uh, even if that, that setting is turned off. So I think, and this is kind of the second thing, it, what it comes down to is trust. Um, and Facebook and Zuckerberg have talked a lot about privacy over the past two years, but they haven't, I, I can't really recall them talking about trust. And that seems to me to be I think for Facebook, an even more dire issue than some of these privacy violations, because without the trust, you look at these these uh, oopsies 
<laughs> and uh, you're inclined to uh, to assume the worst. Whereas if Google, you know, if, if something or for example, uh, there there was sort of a similar story about Apple uh, tracking location, even when location tracking was turned off. And I I don't know the particulars of that incident, but but there was probably a lot less outcry about it because consumers tend to trust Apple a lot more. Certainly they've talked a lot about, you know, that in, in public. So, um, so I, I, I think it's, it's not only important for these companies to try to instill that in their audiences and their customer bases, but but uh, important for them in terms of their scrutiny uh, from the government. And um, regardless of the improvements they make, I'm sure there will still be scrutiny. Uh, but without it, it's difficult, I think, to move forward in, in the relationship, in, in, the, in the state of, of attitudes toward these companies, um, unless they make some progress there. And I think you know, we've, we've talked a little bit before about Google and some of the things they do to instill trust uh, in, in the consumer, um, even though, and I think that's that's a big part of the difference, that even though Google and Facebook on the surface have somewhat similar business models, Google, for a variety of reasons, has just been better at instilling trust. What Google did or was able to do because search was so productive and profitable for them was that they could cross subsidize a lot of these services that we were using things like gmail and and maps yeah maps and youtube arguably even and we we as users wanted to use these services and we wanted to use them in certain ways and because it wasn't necessarily core to the business then then google could allow us to use them in any way we wanted and obviously looks like some of that is maybe starting to change and maybe gmail when you see think of things like g suite and others is a way of starting to monetize some of those platforms more directly but in the past i don't think that google really cared how you how one used gmail as long as it made you think of search and you eventually searched for for something and so um, it wasn't necessarily core to what they were trying to to bring to market certainly wasn't core to how they were monetizing their place within in the market and facebook just seems to have this particular way in which they want you to use their services and so they're they're constantly navigating you in in those directions i i think it also highlights the fact that with data there's a tremendous amount of things that can be discoverable so you can sure. figure out where somebody is without them specifically allowing you to see their location because of the information around them. And I, I think this is the reality that will define the next decade, that there's lots of ways to ascertain details about an individual. And this also applies to other things. If you think about you know, the factory of the future and industry 4.0, if I can understand information about that environment, then I can start to understand elements of that environment, even if I'm not measuring them directly. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to see a lot more applications of that. Arguably, that's one of the, the great benefits of machine learning is that you can provide it lots of information, allow it to 
uh, essentially mine some of that that data and then look for correlations that that may be relevant to things that you care about. I think this this idea of profiling that you talk about has really fueled this martech industry. I mean, YouTube and Facebook are really driving a lot of that, certainly in terms of the um, video element. And I've seen Facebook start to uh, turn up the advertising volume on its watch feature. We've talked uh, on the podcast, uh, not not in a while, but we've, we've mentioned several times about uh, Facebook's YouTube Envy and you know what mm-hmm. it's done over the years to try to drive uh, video, uh, and it's um, it's uh, it's trying to do that again, uh, and it's it's all part of this idea of uh, getting you know more independence uh, from from Google, uh, and so there was another story this week about how Facebook has hired. One of the uh, co-authors of Windows NT, uh, a seminal Microsoft operating system from the uh, from the 90s, uh, to build a new operating system for its devices, uh, such as uh, Oculus and uh, and Portal, um, and certainly it's it's part of what we've talked about on the podcast before as a, as a bit of the Android backlash. Uh, most of that has happened from outside the U.S. Um, you know, where certainly there have been issues with Huawei uh, and a uh, recent story about uh, certain phones being sold in Turkey, not being able to have the full suite of, uh, of Google services. Uh, but um, it's, uh, it's certainly a, uh, a mammoth effort to uh, build your own operating system from scratch. Even some of uh, Google's main current rivals like Amazon, for example, have felt comfortable enough with the uh, open source version of Android to to use that uh, in in many of its products. Uh, but um, there there may be a performance imperative here as well, particularly for VR, that um, uh, that that isn't as important for for something like an Amazon tablet. And I think, to your point, as you start to develop a platform, you will quickly run into the the components of that platform that hinder you from doing what you want to do, the full extent mm-hmm. of what you want to do. And so it it isn't, to me, totally surprising to see them start to think about an operating system for what they want to be a very unique platform, a, a, a platform that is essentially independent of and a, and a new channel, if you will, a new mechanism for connecting and communicating. I guess it also comes down a bit to what uh, what you consider from scratch. I mean, almost nothing is built from scratch, right. you know, these days. They all use, uh, at the very least, like an open source kernel, Linux kernel, something like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll have to see if that goes anywhere. Certainly, there's... Uh, been a lot of Facebook initiatives that uh, that have not, uh, but um, uh, you know, the, uh, Sean, as you've mentioned uh, a number of times here, they are interested in looking at the the post web future. They're looking at expanding revenue models beyond uh, advertising, uh, and uh, both of those 
platforms, uh, the Oculus and, and Portal platforms, uh, even though they're low volume platforms today, uh, certainly have potential to drive new kinds of, uh, of experiences, new kinds of transactions. And, um, uh, and that's a, a big part of why uh, the company is investing there. Well, it's interesting. We, we were talking right before we jumped on the podcast that App Annie came out with their list of top apps downloaded over the last decade. And at the top of the list, one, two, three, and four were all Facebook properties, Facebook app, Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram. Obviously, they, they acquired two of those, but um, it it speaks to the their breadth of influence and their popularity and it will be really interesting to see if they can maintain that type of momentum over the next decade. If, if in 10 years from now, they'll be able to look back and say they were still at the, the top. To your point, uh, the, the worldview of Oculus is to, to be relevant over the next decade and to be at the top of, of most downloads and, and active engagement over the next decade. Yeah, they uh, even though they they don't have their own platform today, they have uh, benefited greatly from the uh, from the app economy, and uh, certainly mobile was a um, uh, a huge catalyst uh, for for their growth. And uh, while they have stumbled on a number of things over the years, you have to give them credit. Uh, it, it took them a while to steer the ship, but uh, I remember when. Zuckerberg said, you know, we're going to be a mobile first uh, company. And um, at, at some point they, they became that. So they obviously have enough financial means to, to invest in this over a, a very yeah. long period of time without any real repercussions to the core business. I and believe so- that that may have even been before they went public, you know, it was obviously a while back. So. Right. I think the big headwind for them will be to your point, they're, being uh, scrutinized for every move that they make. Mm-hmm. You're seeing Europe really take a leadership role over the next year, at least. And I think the U.S. will, will catch up. But uh, taking a leadership role in creating regulatory oversight of these platforms, not just if they break traditional rules of law, but if they uh, fall outside of what what look like social norms and start to regulate the uh, behavior of these companies. So even if they aren't necessarily doing something that's explicitly illegal, if they are doing something that, that is just uh, questionable, I think they'll see greater scrutiny from, uh, from Europe. And so yeah, that, you know, that could start to influence over time what they do, though you feel like it's going to influence them. And then yet these stories continue to break that uh, look like they've skirting the rules somewhat. Well, it, to me, it's been very interesting uh, stateside to see, uh, not so surprising to see Tim Cook call for a regulation. He, you know, his company doesn't have much to lose by that. But to see Zuckerberg acknowledge, you know, that there's a need for for regulation, uh, looking looking for guidance from the government, and most of the political reaction, and you know, Sean, you probably follow this uh, uh, closer than I do, being uh, at, at the center of it all, um, is is that they're 
there doesn't seem to me to be a lot of, uh, you know, there, there are many inquiries, but, but most of the proposals out there seem less about European-style privacy regulation and more about uh, intervening in the businesses themselves, you know, particularly targeting these, these businesses um, um, in terms of, of either breaking up these companies or, or trying to get them to build walls among some of their products, like those uh, juggernaut apps uh, that, that you mentioned before that Facebook has. Um, why, why do you think you know, that's, that's the case? I, I think some of it is that most of this is coming from the more uh, extreme wing. You know, Elizabeth Warren, for example, has been very vocal about it. Uh, but why, why is it being counterbalanced? Uh, you think it's just distraction or low priority or? I think it's interesting to see how there's so much focus on the, the singular solution of, of just breaking up the, the companies into mm-hmm. different platforms. And, um, and, and a lot of move by Facebook over the last year to, more greatly integrate their platforms to make that more difficult. Obviously they acquired WhatsApp, they acquired Instagram. And so for for some time, especially early on, they were operating very independent of, of other Facebook properties, but there's been effort over the last year to uh, strengthen the integration. You've seen leadership teams from both of those, uh, those domains depart that had had come over as part of the acquisition, at least in mm-hmm. the case of Instagram. And so you, you know, you see some movement there as well to, uh, to counterbalance some of the, the negativity around and, and the momentum around uh, breaking these companies up. And it's interesting. I think as we move into 2020 and we move into what will be a all consuming election year, in the United States, so there won't probably be much focus on breaking up big tech. Mm-hmm. It's clear that the president's policy priorities are other places. They are in tariffs. They are in in China. They are not necessarily breaking up Facebook, uh, though a- Amazon and others have have clearly uh, crossed paths with the with the president's desires and, sure. and opinions. But it because it is a such a campaign topic on the other side of the aisle should the the incumbent president trump not win and we see a democrat win the presidency i think it will be very tough for them not to then pursue some form of regulation or or at least start to move in that direction because in the case of some of the candidates part of their their uh, their stump it's part of their their campaign is to get elected and regulate some of these platforms so it'd be interesting to see how that plays out and what that regulation looks like. I think there's been so much focus on antitrust because those tools are are long understood and right. long entrenched and they're in place. And so it's a very easy thing to to implement. Whereas some of these other tools are are, are don't exist yet in some cases or are more difficult. There are one-off fines that can be imposed, but uh, those are obviously very costly from a regulatory standpoint and haven't been a focus of the current administration. And there's been a lot of good writing around um, 
applicability of antitrust laws and whether they apply here and because so much of them are uh, so much of it is based on uh, pricing, you know, which which is a tough test to apply when so many of these services are are free, um, uh, and it's it's tough to say, you know, uh, you you have to kind of look at it as a stifled competition um, uh, argument. Uh, what might have been, which is challenging. And I, I I don't want to get into that, but I, right. I'll say that the paradox is uh, that. When privacy is violated, uh, people tend to use phrasing like, that's creepy. You know, that's creepy that they know that, you know. Right. But at the same time, they it, it doesn't seem to be anything that they get particularly passionate about because I would say that the uh, the the implications are so limited. Okay, so, you know, I was shopping for this, you know, thing, and now you're showing me ads for this thing. Uh, that's creepy, you know, but at the end of the day, so what? You know, I got an ad for that thing instead of some other random thing. Yeah, and and there's just so much inertia with these platforms. So if you look at tech companies and, and tech marketplaces, they naturally gravitate to very high market shares, partly because of the network effects. Right. And uh, in, in order to have a real competitor to Facebook, you need everybody in that environment to move, right? F Facebook for one user is not of much interest, but Facebook for many users becomes interesting. And so you need, you need a, a significant shift, and that obviously takes time to make that shift. And so there's just a lot of inertia built up in these these platforms that is this hard to disrupt and so that will be it will be really interesting to see what that regulation looks like and and maybe it takes the takes the form of of large fines kind of a gdpr type approach to try to enforce some type of of social norms that are in many, many cases at least in some cases are yet to be defined right right winner winner take all as a Bill Gates uh, has described the uh, the software market. So, yeah. well, maybe maybe that's a good uh, segue into talking about what some of Facebook's competitors uh, are up to uh, in terms of the smart home. Uh, you've got Apple, Google, and Amazon. You you normally don't hear too much about these three companies working together. Uh, with the Zigbee Alliance, uh, and uh, for listeners unfamiliar, the Zigbee Alliance is a group of companies that has created a standard for very low power networking uh, in the home. It's used in a lot of professional smart home installations, uh, a lot of the door sensors, window sensors, uh, th those kinds of products are, are based on Zigbee. Um, so you, you tend not to hear a lot about it. It's not something that you turn on and off with your phone, for example, uh, like like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. But uh, but it is a um, uh, fairly accepted standard within the smartphone space, and they're working together to migrate. Uh, I imagine uh, the Zigbee protocol to uh, IP uh, so that it could be managed, I guess, better or integrated better with, uh, with standards such as, uh, such as Wi-Fi, 
um, for example, which is uh, which is IP based. So, um, what what is the result of this? I mean, I would think on some level the idea is to just make it easier for makers of smart home devices to support. And I think I saw this in some coverage. All three of the major agents that these companies offer, Siri, Alexa, and um, uh, Google Assistant. Uh, beyond that, uh, do, do you, what, do you, what do you see as, as the impact of, of this on the scale or adoption of, of smart home tech? Well, it's very interesting to see Apple so early Absolutely agree. In, in a process like this. Yeah. If they were to get involved, they would have historically, certainly a decade ago, wanted to own it themselves. It would have been proprietary to their platform, and they would have um, not likely brought on competitors. Yes. And here you see Apple joining in very early in the process. They don't plan to, um, we're just this week seeing the announcement of the of the partnership, and they anticipate having that universal smart home standard out next year, at least having the, the initial pieces coming out the first half of the next year. So it will be interesting to see what happens there, but really interesting to see Apple in so early. Will it expand beyond the voice agents? I think it has to. I think if sure. you look at the, the future of hardware is going to be much broader than where we are today. It's got to go beyond head, you know, headphones, earbuds, and watches and 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 uh, and phones, so it's going to expand beyond that, um, and so I think that becomes Apple's value proposition: design, aesthetics, interoperability. So if they can be potential part of health applications, yeah, health yeah. definitely, yeah. Uh, definitely as we've talked about before. So I think there's some incentive, and, and I think Apple is is taking a, a new approach over the last 18 months or so. They've been more um, committed to it, at least more vocal about maybe not needing to own everything, maybe not needing to have everything just exclusive to Apple, but to bring the best of what they can to these environments. And, and you you've, have seen a lot of really interesting announcements this year from Apple. For example, Apple Music showing up in, in new places, being able to yep. get Apple Music on Echo devices. So the, yep. the, the uh, channels between companies like Apple and Amazon are, are more open, and Apple and Google, for that matter, are more open than they have been in the past. I mean, it's interesting to see Amazon and Google uh, as part of that same project Totally agree, well. totally agree. And, and to your point about uh, Apple wanting to own everything, home networking really has been an interesting uh, case study for, for them because they have been relatively hands-off. You know, they, they, I should say they have not been very aggressive in terms of first party products there. You know, they have certified, you know, they have their own standard home kit. They have, uh, you know, you can use your iPhone or Mac as, as a management point for it as you might expect. But compared to Google or certainly Amazon, they have not introduced this rash of products that, uh, you know, cameras and smart doorbells and, and things like that. Uh, Amazon mostly getting into that through acquisition. Uh, Google also mostly getting into it through acquisition, but but of one company as opposed to kind of a hodgepodge of companies. Uh, but you know, if you if you just sort of look at those three companies side by side, 
uh, Amazon and Google have by far more robust uh, smart home portfolios, and, and Amazon is probably doing the best job of of driving these products uh, in, in part because of its uh, its retail strength. Uh, so, and also because of price points. I yeah, think. definitely price yeah. points. Uh, so, um, so yes, uh, definitely. And, and, you know, it's price points that uh, helped influence Apple to move its, its media and, and services uh, offerings to, um, to some of the Amazon platforms. Although, you know, they still kind of, uh, Look at, at Android phones as uh, you know the 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 devil that that they you know want to deal with that only only as a last resort, uh, having uh, having inherited a music client uh, for for uh, for the for uh, an Android client for Apple Music. So um, you know it it is early, uh, but uh, Google I would say has been the most aggressive in trying to jumpstart. Uh, this and uh, really hasn't made a, a lot of headway. Uh, they had Android Things. They've um, you know a couple of different standards that really haven't gone anywhere. Um, so uh, so yeah, uh, it, it may to your point uh, encourage whole new categories of um, of devices. Uh, but maybe just one thing it does is. Um, bring a lot of the existing, make, make a lot of the existing stuff easier to support, uh, easier to make. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure there's, there's a lot more left already to, to monitor in the smart home. You know, we've got water monitors and air monitors and door monitors and, you know, uh, a lot of different things. I'm sure more can be done. But, but the real challenge is not what can be measured, but adoption. And, and adoption is still, I would say, relatively low. You know, a lot of people have a component of this stuff in their homes, but, but far short of a comprehensive offering. Uh, and maybe this helps goose interoperability and makes that happen. Um, you know, there's a school of thought that ultimately the way this stuff gets into uh, people's homes is just that it's there in new homes, you know, a lot like the automotive market uh, or the PC market where people don't necessarily upgrade to add these kinds of, of features. They're just in whatever new thing, you know, that, that they buy. Um, so it, it may be more of a, um, uh, of, of a, uh, of something that, that that's a, a builder play, you know, marketing to the builders and trying to get incorporation for those standards. And there you could see why interoperability would be so, uh, so important uh, because the builder has no idea, you know, whether the person who's going to buy the house is an Android user or an iPhone user. So, um, so it's important from that perspective, I would say. I think you see some other really interesting things happening around this space. Earlier this year, Amazon announced their sidewalk uh, initiative, which is essentially looking at extending uh, Wi-Fi and re relying on some of the low bandwidth of the 900 megahertz spectrum to, to get slightly longer range than Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And so they, I believe the, when they, they highlighted the, uh, the product at their, um, hardware event in uh, in September or October, they showed that it could be used, for example, for, for tracking your dog. And so you could think of it like a dog collar living on this type of network where you could see where your dog is 
within the the vicinity of your home or the or the neighborhood. Mm. So there's probably a lot of new product categories that that can emerge when you have connectivity that extends not just in the home but then also somewhat outside of the the home. Um, you also saw as part of this initiative. Apple open sourcing parts of their HomeKit accessory development kit. Mm -hmm. and, and that showed up on GitHub yesterday. So you've got them starting to, to open source some of their, their code. Presumably it will help uh, accelerate this, this initiative that they're, uh, uh, that they're, uh, that they're working on together with Amazon and part of this Zigbee, Amazon, Google and the Zigbee Alliance. We'll see how that develops, uh, but I think there's there's a lot more to come beyond just doorbells and you know cameras and other sensors within the home. There's a lot of things we we may not feel like we want to monitor, but once we start to monitor them, we'll we'll realize we want to do it constantly. And, and I just look at examples like think of how often we used to check the weather when it was a painful process and we had to watch the news to do it uh, you know or, or we would listen to it on the radio when it came on and now we just open up our our phone yeah and check it all the time I'm, I'm amazed at how often people check weather for places that they're not going to be at that <laughs> that day or even that month you know and you're just like what's what's the weather here i was there last month i'm not going back anytime soon or i'll be there in a month i'm just curious what it is today so we're constantly you know checking the weather because the cost of, of that information is almost zero right it's easy to to ask a voice agent or check on your phone and and so when that starts to play out in lots of places i think you you can imagine uh like like with a pet i could easily imagine people saying you know, hey, hey, Google, or hey, uh, Alexa, or hey, Amazon. What's uh, you know, where's Sparky? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the uh, of course the Consumer Electronics Show uh, is is coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're sure to see the uh, the latest in in smart home technology there. So uh, that should uh, give us a preview of what we can expect in in 2020. And um, we'll be taking a, a look ahead at, at that and some other things in the uh, in the next uh, episode of, of TechSpansive. Well, have a happy holiday for anyone who's celebrating uh, this this next week. And uh, we look forward to having you join us in our next episode. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac at Avrio Institute. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And you can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. <laughs>